We got to shake it out. We got to. <clears throat> I haven't hosted since um, October 31st. <laughs> Good uh, luck. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, so I'm going to break off the walnut shells. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite things about film across all decades is its ability to bring stories to life. And I am super aware of how very obvious that statement is. But the use of camera tricks and lighting, forced perspective, matte paintings, makeup, choreography, um, for all time, were pushed to the absolute limit in order to create some of the most wildly cl- complex scenes in some of the most spectacular films of their time. And and it, I'm just always blown away at the amount of innovation that comes out of the film industry. And it, it's just constantly, constantly pushing the artistry and the technology to the absolute limit of what is available for them to use. So in 1973, with the film Westworld, we saw the introduction of a new element in film, an element that would go on to excite, frighten, end careers, piss off almost every movie nerd I've ever met, and turn the film industry on its head faster than I think anything that had come before it. Um, Listeners, I'm talking about computer-generated imaging, or CGI. Boo! (laughs) Boo. Like any new hot piece of ass out in the world, CGI would take on its own life's ups and downs and its long career ahead with many, many triumphs and many, many, many failures. It had, had to learn some lessons, honest. Yeah. It had to go re- go to rehab. It, you know, it started out as a really strong child actor. <laughs> Maybe got messed around with a little too much by the production team and then went off the rails for a little while. Now it, we're Now it's coming back a little bit stronger than it was. Would you say that CGI is now like a early thirties Lothario? Yeah, I would. I would say, uh, yeah. They they went off and they studied their craft, and uh, CGI came back as a well worn early thirty something mm-hmm. um, artist, humbled. Wait, CGI is that like somebody's name, like Cody Graham Ingram? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Cody. Yeah, I like that yeah, Cody. <laughs> cursed name um in this next series which i'm calling cgi killed the video star we will discuss two iconic films absolutely drenched in cgi the first one that we're discussing today is 1982's tron directed by steven Linsberger. Berger, and the second being jeff fahey's least offensive role of a lifetime in 1992's lawnmower man <laughs> directed by brett leonard hell yeah you guys, welcome to Solid Six Movie Podcast. I'm your host for the next couple of shows, and I'm joined by my two glowing computer programs, Joshua Giff Griffith and Brady Killaback Kimball. Greetings, programs. Hello. If you haven't listened to us before, greetings, programs, just oh, like what Josh said. We are three friends who rotate hosting duties. Each member picks a double feature based solely on whatever the fuck they feel like. And then we go on and discuss that. So far, we have created 115 very long conversations about other really fun films. Um, So if this series isn't your jam, you can go to our website, www.solid6.net, to find a conversation that is up that alley. Won't you join us? (laughs) I forgot that I picked Softcore with Sorceress from 1995. (laughs) (laughs) You've been picking Softcore for months. Mm. Years, maybe. Mm. The world is becoming a less horny place. I'll just say that. I don't want to get too political. It's on the true. Show. Did you read that? Did you read that in the news that the kids are not are not smashed in the way they used to? I don't need to read it. I feel it. Oh, are, you about, are you talking about Hooters? 
Well, yeah, well, there was the the downfall of Hooters. They had to rebrand, or they're, they've closed to rebrand for a little while because kids just aren't into boobs like they used to be. <laughs> <sighs> you got to be beautiful on the inside in order to get aroused. I don't 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 steal my axe. <laughs> what do you mean? That's something that I would say. <laughs> uh, you know, Brady, the brain is really the biggest erogenous zone. <laughs> oh, you uh, both taught me it was the feet. Is it you hate feet? Uh, yeah. It's not no. No, it's that big nodule frontal cortex. Speak to me, brain daddy. <laughs> anyway, I picked Sorceress from 1995 that one time. So Yeah, sorry, we just... were we were watching that with like our blinds to our windows wide open, just exposing our entire neighborhood to softcore that night. <laughs> the Julie Strain's angry boobs. The angriest boobs yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, you you both are troopers and I very much appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you guys, we love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to slide into those DMs on our Instagram. We're at solid6.podcast, or you can email us at podcast at solid6.net. We have merch now. We do. Ah. We had some beautiful enamel pins created, and uh, these suckers you can find on our store for 10 bucks. Plus a couple bucks shipping. Uh, shipping is way more expensive than we thought it was. Whoops. Um, so we may or may not have adjusted it a dollar or two. We're working it out. Yeah. But you can go to solid6.net slash store. Find the button there. It's easy peasy um, to get that all taken care of. We'll get that shipped out to you it's, as we have done with a number of people who've already supported us. Yeah, Thank you. It's, it's dope. It's our prismatic logo. It's a solid six. It's fucking cool. The design is great. Mm. 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 So if again, if you're new to the show, we we have two lists that are running for the show right now. We have the Man on Fire list, which is any film that you're watching where an extra or a stuntman is completely engulfed in flames and running around like a crazy person, or even partially engulfed in flames. But it should be like 30 percent or more mm. of the body. Yeah. Um, and then we have our child throwing the, list. The judges will decide like what's an appropriate like yeah. Man on Fire because, for example. Um, Lance Henriksen in Hard Target. He's not in full immolation, but he's looking pretty fucking badass. <laughs> Therefore, we are going to allow it. Yeah. Well, it's because it was an accident. Like, they, he full on, like, <laughs> he was not supposed to be on fire that way. And that's, it doesn't matter. Wait, I just realized, how do we adjudicate this? Like, do, are we going to have like a defender and a prosecutor and one of us is the judge and we rotate? And then we'd have to have like an omb- ombudsman and well, like I a, think, an appeal process. Well, I think that the, what, what marks this is that we, we often do have to, come together to judge the movies that are submitted for child throwing because they're they're not as frequent as man on fire Mm -hmm. and what we consider child throwing is like the launching Mm -hmm. of the child yes so you either see it being tossed and then you see the like the flinging through the air right and a possible landing there has to be terror in the children's eyes it can't be it's not a toss or a jump it's Mm -hmm. a throw yeah it's a yeah. launching. Yeah. But I feel like we've often had to uh, go and review to make sure That's that true. they were worthy. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right. But I we're a little bit loosey-goosey about the man on fire. Well, yeah. I mean, it's. I feel like that one's pretty easy. I feel like every movie that came out of like the 80s and early 90s had a man on fire. I do like the harmony of our friendship. So I want to anticipate when it gets really contentious. And I propose just like a little mini production meeting in the middle of this episode. Yeah. No big deal. Of course. Um, <laughs> I, this this mixing board we can hook a phone up to it. So I I suggest we phone a friend. Oh my god! I have a hamburger phone in my um, closet. Will it hook up to this mixing board? I think so. Okay. It'll hook up to my cell phone. Okay. That's dope. 
So yeah, we should. Uh, we'll keep use the hamburger with, phone. <laughs> we just start calling people until one of our friends picks up. I like hey. it. Hey, I like it. <laughs> so friends, be on the watch out for a phone number or one of our phone numbers. And if a mysterious <laughs> hamburger calls you, <laughs> all right, approved, ratified. Oh God. Caller ID. It's just a hamburger face. Uh, So we had a couple additions to the man on fire list. We had uh, the first purge, which is actually purge four, if I'm not mistaken. Is that the one set in the Wild West? No, that's the one that's set in like in like the inner city. Okay. Uh, Like all the other ones. Well, okay. Sorry. Oh, wait a minute. No, I know what you're talking about. Never mind. I'm shutting up now. (laughs) (laughs) Statement retracted. Um. Then we had Spirited, which I haven't seen, but Brady, mm-hmm. you, you said, okay. Yep. And then uh, Con Air, which I can't believe wasn't on there already. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so those are our additions to Man on Fire. Wait, is Dave Chappelle the Man on Fire in Con Air? I forgot Dave Chappelle was in that movie. No, he gets left behind. He doesn't get... I'm just saying all kinds of stuff and they're walking <laughs> away from it. That's going to be my role this episode. It's just, I'm just the idiot wandering into the room and then leaving again. <laughs> hey, it's drunk Uncle Josh, whatever. <laughs> You know, you can disconnect that microphone from the stand and just walk around. And <laughs> <like Yeah. laughs> Petting the cats. That's our Vanna White. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you see this over here? Hey. Um, so if you guys find anything, you can always DM it to us through our Instagram or our Twitter. Uh, we're at Solid 6 Podcast on Twitter uh, while it's still up and running. Um, do we have any emails? We don't. There was a number of really nice Instagram comments. Somebody uh, wrote us a, a beautiful comment, and I tried to find it in the last like twelve to fifteen posts, and I totally lost it. So I'm so sorry. But there has been a number. I think there with the holiday giving spirit that people have, we've had a lot of nice uh, yeah. feedback saying, you know, we've helped people uh, with mental health stuff and just general appreciation. Uh, like I know Gina wrote about cooking while she was listening to us, which is. Just a delightful, you know, mm-hmm. it's like just thinking about the smell of butter in our voices, just, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't have the, the comments directly. No, I just I, want to recognize. I remember seeing nice. it, but I was either like just falling asleep, just waking up or I was drunk. That's <laughs> <laughs> These are all, it's the holiday season. Those are all distinct possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about holidays. That, that, <laughs> it's almost Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, that like that weird like space in between the genitalia and the asshole that is in between Christmas and New Year. The gooch yeah. of the season. <laughs> it just it's just all a blur. I was either asleep, the holiday, waking gooch. up, going to the bathroom, drunk, disassociating, daydreaming, <laughs> abducted That's by like aliens. Eighty percent of my day. Actually, I got food poisoning on Christmas Eve, like pretty gnarly food poisoning. So I spent the entirety of Christmas like... That's called the Christmas spirit. <laughs> Christmas, it was really coming through me. And uh, I spent the like almost the entire day of Christmas just like a wet waffle just on my couch trying to watch TV. <laughs> just <laughs> completely empty. Mm. Nothing but a bowl of stomach acid. That sounds like a pretty pretty dope Christmas day, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, guys, how are you? How are you doing, Brady? I'm doing okay. I just like reflecting on last year. It was a, a, a bit of a nightmare as a, as, as a whole, but I'm very grateful for the friends that I have 
uh, Josh and Allison, you've been both very supportive. Uh, I've had a really strong supportive network of people, other podcasters uh, who have helped remind me that life can be fun and stupid. Um, and so I'm feeling grateful in spite of all the crazy shit that's happened to me and my family in the last six months. 2022 was like uh, difficult in a way that I almost don't want to speak about it. No. Like it's like the wrath of yes. some kind of. Yeah, we hit some pretty significant speed bumps there at back half of 22. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm just like, let's not upset the monster. Yeah. Let's just let it go to sleep. Yeah, that's yeah. It. And I've debated talking about it on the show. And now I've, you know, I've kind of hit, arrived at the, the inflection point where I'm like, okay, at least to at least recognize how bad it was. But yeah, I, I'm grateful I'm here now. I was just talking to my therapist about this before you got here. Like there's just going to be a lot of um, very, what's the word I'm looking at? Deliberate. Mm. Um, like actions that are going to be taken in 2023, just with a lot of slowing down and a lot of thought and, um, you know, hopefully not in survival mode. Well, we got to add some fun chaos to your life. If, it, if it's all about structure, if it's going to be all it's planning, not... we need to, Josh and I are here to provide a little bit of safe chaos, chaos on the rails. Intentional. Intentional <laughs> okay. is the word I was right. looking for. Right. Not deliberate. Okay. Intentional. Okay. Fair but, enough. Yes. But other than uh, reflecting back on my existence, uh, <laughs> I've been watching lots of movies. So a couple of movies that I want to talk about. Let's talk about a art house film before we talk about a uh, down and dirty film. Um, <laughs> Fuck so, yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about a Korean director, Hong Sang-soo, who did a movie called Right Now, Wrong Then from 2015. And so this movie is a shot on not shot on video but like a digital video of just like very bare bones movie following a film director who's in town to speak at a film festival and he meets some local woman and they end up having uh, a nice day together just like having dinner he goes back to her place and like talks to her about her art she has art or she paints excuse me she talks about his films and it's just really wholesome like a wholesome relationship and then halfway through the movie, it flips and everything that you just saw in the movie, you see again with slight differences, right? So in the first half of the movie, she's really timid or shy, but then really confident about her art. In the second part, she's she's more confident, but then kind of talks shit about herself with her art. Mm. And so subtle little dynamic shifts. By the end of the movie, it's like, I think he's, especially with the title, giving a pretty obvious clue right now, wrong then. It, it's. I think he's trying to say, like, hey, as the audience, which of these versions do you prefer and why? Right? Uh -huh. Like, he's not trying to be judgmental about it. He's just like, here's what it is. I got the kind of sense, I walked away from it feeling like, well, I could, took a, I could take a little bit of this story one and a little bit of story two, and it would be like the perfect movie or the perfect day, right? And I, I think mm. he's intentionally kind of playing with dynamics of strangers, dynamics of like attraction, dynamics of, you know, men and women, dynamics of uh, artists, a, a powerful filmmaker, um, you know, that's highly renowned and, and famous. Um, and I fucking love this movie. I've seen a couple of his movies. Uh, I've seen um, also, sorry, one second. I've also seen, I think one of his first movies called Virgin Strip Bear by Her Bachelors. Um, it's black and white, very similar style, but he, he, ha he has a theme. I was just reading these off the other day and it's just like a film director's in a town. A film director goes to the beach. A film director. 
<laughs> takes a bath. <laughs> oh, some women meet up and have some drinks. And, you know, it, there's a lot of... Take it easy, Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't think Hong Sing Su is like Woody Allen. Fingers crossed. Um, but yes, point taken. I also don't think he has a stand-up career. Um, but he's really funny. He's really funny. Uh, very um, dry sense of humor. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but these are... These are talk talky movies like stare like uh kind Mm. of study their facial expressions their body language and stuff like that and so long stares yeah and so as we all know in the show or on this podcast like clouds of sills maria and stuff like that i really like having to pay attention to a movie that's quote-unquote small Mm. right Right. Yeah. Is that, is that what? No. Yeah. I <laughs> is that was. What I'm I, I was just. Like, I was thinking about it. your taste in film as being like, um, like an Oreo cookie, but one side fell on the ground, kind of a thing. <laughs> Wait, <what? laughs> which side? Your your soft core side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's like there are you know there are like clouds of Sales Maria and mm-hmm. um you know force majeure and mm-hmm. like those documentaries you like mm-hmm. and, the, and the slow film that you like and then there's like fatal exposure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like that side breaking up, point. Yeah, like that side picked up a little dog hair or something like that. Well, that's I'm really glad you recognize me, Allison, because I want to talk about Malibu Express. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by uh, by Andy uh, by Andy Sedaris. So this oh, is no. this is uh, oh, no. so lots of facial expressions. <laughs> Tight focus on the the dialogue. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, it's from you, the neck You know what above. really propels dialogue, Brady? Like really big lungs. Like nice big old <laughs> pair of lungs to push the air out of your windpipe to make the dialogue happen. Andy Sidaris knows what I'm talking about. What? <laughs> Wait, is that why women's boobs get really big? Is they have bigger lungs? Yeah, they have so much to say. <laughs> Josh has never sounded more pervy, and I love it. I love it. Um, by the way, these types of movies—I'm coming are, for you, Hooters. We'll save the day yes, yet. Yes. Should we do? No, I'm not glad. live from Hooters. Yes. Oh. Yep, Josh picked up on what I was saying. <laughs> there was a moment though where like certain cities were letting me down with the Hooters cast. Like you'd go in, and I'm like, I don't know if you deserve. How to- many Hooters have you been in? We had a friend who every year for his birthday would go to Hooters for chicken wings and mm. it was like a standing tradition. So I've been to quite a few and there was there was a moment and I'm going to say it was it was based on the fault of tweeism that happened in the early 2000s where maybe the 80s glory days of Hooters started to crack. Yeah. Julie Strain would be disappointed. I think so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sorry that I sound like a big asshole. <laughs> You're okay. I'm going to distance myself from this part of the conversation because I'm unemployed right now and I'm pretty sure I haven't gotten a job because of this podcast. So <laughs> it's a price, a heavy price to pay, but I am willing to pay. <laughs> Being unemployed, you know, losing my house, you know, having to sell everything because of this podcast. Worth it. You mentioned heavy burdens and I was thinking back to Malibu Express. Yeah, so Malibu Hi. Express uh, features many, many playmates of the time. This is uh, Andy Sedaris's, I think his second film uh, after Stacy, which I quite liked. Excuse me, this might be his third uh, or fourth. Um, okay, so he did um, he did Stacy, he did Seven, then he did Malibu Express. And then after Malibu Express, he made his masterpiece, at least so far, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which would be 
you you need to see. I've We've the two of you yeah. would love this movie, mm-hmm. but Malibu Express not not hard ticket to Hawaii. This is uh follows a he's still finding his voice. I think he he kind of had his voice on Stacy, but this one felt like a C grade Magnum PI episode with shitty voiceover and kind of a, a convoluted whodunit that wasn't interesting. Ah. And lots of excuses for women to get naked, um, which his movies do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying mm-hmm. he doesn't, but this one felt a little bit like it was overcompensating. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. I just, I typed in a hard ticket to Hawaii and it kept saying Frisbee gif. And so. Oh, I- yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. So, and this was before his, uh, so Malibu Express is obviously based on the title before his Hawaii, you know, constant helicopters, um, hot tubs, you know, vague jungle set decoration and beaches. This, this was very much like at a manor in Malibu and a, a rich family's like, yo dog, like find out who this really big asshole that secretly films him having sex with women, find out who killed this guy. Um, Shot, he got shot in the face, and so Darby Hinton plays uh, Cody Abilene, and he's a cowboy with a big Cody. old mustache. He's got a big old mustache, and he lives on a yacht. And the mustache is where he keeps his secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that's true, Josh. <laughs> but yeah, I would only recommend this if like you're you're an Andy head. Yeah, if you're, uh, I think I've only seen two of his movies, and they kind of felt like the same movie twice. What do you see? Uh, I saw um, Day of the Warrior mm. and Picasso Trigger. No, I want to say it was like called like Guns or something like that. Yeah, that's that's the name. That another one. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are the two I've seen. Okay, Julie yeah. Strain. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So Malibu Express streaming for free on Tubi, and um, my last pick. What was it called? <laughs> Right now, wrong then. That's streaming for free on Canopy. So, so, uh, so support your local library if you want. If you want to get the straight scoop, if you want some semblance of healthy relationships versus whatever's happening in Malibu Express. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Just in some of the Andy Sedaris movies, he's really obsessed with like James Bond style gadgets, mm-hmm. or, like trick weapons, like the frisbee, for example. Mm-hmm. This is uh, the only thing is the guy laying in bed and he hits a button and the camera comes out of the plants to film himself Whoa. With, with like, like an 80s video camera like <laughs> the size of a suitcase correct good guess very good I, I watched a lot of other movies but I'll uh, I'll save that for another time Josh uh, yeah same I've, I've also uh, since we last recorded watched a bunch of movies I was sitting on an airplane for like 30 hours uh, I went back east to visit my family for Christmas and uh, so that meant because of some of the flight complications i was on an airplane for an extended period of time i watched i don't want to talk about it because we already talked about it before but i did watch triangle of sadness loved it i think it's probably his it's his most uh like narrative arc of the three movies that he's made it might be my favorite now i don't know i really love force majeure moving on Um, (laughs) after triangle of sadness not that it's like a very serious movie it's it's funny um but it's definitely got like a point that it's trying to make i wanted to watch something that was really dumb really dumb and my first stab at it on the airplane was uh 2001's cats and dogs which is a speaking of cgi 
a highly stylized uh, spy drama of cats versus dogs, but I couldn't even finish it. It was so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I had to stop. And then uh, time goes on. We're going to, we're going to jump back and forth here. All right. We're, this is a Christopher Nolan movie. We're we're hopscotching Mm, around mm. through time and space now. Mm -hmm. And on the airplane back to Portland, I watched and I finished this one, although I did fall asleep during it. uh, 2022's Morbius. No, which is the Sony pictures offshoot of the Spider-Man films. So I don't know exactly how this whole thing works, but Sony pictures owns certain characters that are all associated with Spider-Man and Spider-Man is like a shared property between the Marvel Disney and Sony or like Sony makes money off of Spider. Anyway, I don't know how it works. But after Venom made them some money, they decided to make some more movies. And uh, Morbius is another one. And man, they are just sleepwalking through this thing. It is such a turd. It's <laughs> such a bad movie. Whenever someone says, like, oh, this, may, this movie's really bad, this movie's really terrible, immediately, like, your contrarian mm-hmm. part of your brain mm-hmm. kicks in. It's like, well, you know what? I'm going to find something in this movie that I like. Yeah. I'm going to watch this with, like, eyes wide open. And I'm going to say, hey, you know what? That's Maybe a, that's a good performance. Or that's, this. that's noble. And that's what we're here to do. It, it, it is noble what here to do. Um, the worst thing about this movie is Jared Leto. Um, Matt Shot. Smith, no, no shots fired. Like he's yeah. not going to hear me from his cult ranch, wherever the hell he's at. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say shock, shocker. I wasn't going to say shot, shots shocker. fired. <laughs> Chakras. Um, it's okay. <laughs> you're, you're ready to defend your opinion. <laughs> uh, and it wouldn't be so terrible, except that it has a great cast around him. Uh, so uh, Matt Smith um, from... The Crown. The Crown. Mm-hmm. Um, the Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon from, what else? He was a Doctor Who. Like, he's great. And he's the villain. And he's totally misused. I mean, like, he's probably having the most fun of anyone on screen. But he, like, he's way better than this. And also Jared Harris, who is a fantastic actor. He's awesome in this thing. Like, he gets like three lines in before he gets killed. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and like, so anyway, Morbius is dog shit. Don't worry about it. Moving on. After Morbius, I needed to cleanse the palate. I needed something that was good and pure and nice and well-made by like good actors. And so I decided, you know what? I haven't been down this neighborhood in a while. Let's check out the period dramas. So I watched 2005's Pride and Prejudice, uh, directed by Joe Wright, uh, who also did Atonement, Darkest Hour, Hannah. And uh, Keira Knightley uh, plays, um, what's her face? Bennett, Elizabeth Bennett. Uh, from the Jane Austen novel. And it's got like an absolutely stacked cast. Like the, the cast is ridiculous. It's got Donald Sutherland, Jenna Malone, Carrie Mulligan, Rosamund Pike. Lo- the list goes on. Um, Matthew McFadden plays Mr. Darcy. What's different about this particular Pride and Prejudice as opposed to most period dramas is that most period dramas are fairly clean. They're fairly stuffy, powdered wigs, noses, very complicated manner of speaking. Of course, the dialogue doesn't change at all. It's, it's from the text. It's not going to change at all. But this movie is a more naturalistic version of people who are kind of like lower middle class. So there's like worn paint. There's body sweat. There's bird shit. There's, you know, like uh, Indian summer sunshine coming through every window. It feels like living, breathing human beings occupy this world, not porcelain dolls going through their you know, petty mm-hmm. drama. Um, so I really liked it and, um, I've seen a couple different versions of Pride and Prejudice 
And this one definitely stuck with me just because of the way that it was trying to break out of the period drama mold. And I think for the most part, successfully did it. I think that everybody who was in it really killed it. So uh, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in that sort of thing, take a look. I'm um, very much interested. I thought Joe Wright did a great job with Atonement, mm-hmm. a very sad movie. There is that great sex scene in the li- library, in the drawing room. The bottom part of the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. so, you, so you're talking about uh, bird shit and body sweat. That's, uh, that sounds yeah. like my jam. <laughs> uh, you just, you just rewrote our Instagram description. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> we need to get that printed on something. <laughs> and uh, let's see. The other movie that I will bring up, uh, again, because it was over the Christmas break and I was with my family back east. Um, I haven't seen it in its entirety, not once in my life. And so for the, for the first time, I watched It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, that's great. The, all the way through? All the way through. Oh, watched nice. the whole thing for that's the first time. Dude, it's a great Cap- movie. Capra mm-hmm. was fucking legit back then. Mm-hmm. Frank Capra, no yeah. joke. Like yeah. he's awesome. What I love about this movie is they give space. They give, it's not like a throwaway. It's not like a moment where like the good guy breaks down. Like you get to ride along with Jimmy Stewart's meltdown, like in a fairly like believable way where it's like, you know, he's at work. It's all going to shit. He's going to lose everything. He's bargaining. He's trying to like, you know, fix it as best he can. Once that doesn't work out, he basically, you know, he gets mad at his family, he gets drunk, yada, yada, yada. And so there's a, there is a uh, realness to some of the characters that you don't really, you know, you wouldn't anticipate for a sentimental movie from 1946. Mm-mm. And it's kind of cool that way. And it also, you know, yeah, it, for me, of course, because it's, it's made such a long time ago and you have to compare it to movies these days. It's like, oh, well, you can see where like, you know, Back to the Future got some of their ideas about how to, you know, show you the world that you didn't, you never existed in. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with like Groundhog Day. Um, But Jimmy Stewart is completely amazing as George Bailey. Um, Like I got misty at the end and I, you know, I've, I've seen the end sequence before, but having watched the whole thing, I was like, oh, this is really great because it's not just about, you know, Santa Claus or Christmas trees. It's about community. And so the politics of this movie, I thought were really great because it showed the depreciation of community through someone who would hoard wealth as opposed to someone who's trying to build everybody up the way George Bailey's character is mm-hmm. like trying to, trying to raise the, the rising tide that lifts all ships. So I don't and, know. And the stakes are super high, right? Cause yeah. like the nihilism yeah. and the kind of the suicide aspect of it is not somehow, somehow one of, one of our movies, or I'll, I won't speak for you, like one of my movies kind of snuck through the the pantheon of like decade over decade mm-hmm. where there's there's some darkness to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you if you only catch little snippets here and there, you're going to miss out on the those, those little moments of him realizing that he's he's not doing so great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, you know, it was a big impact for me. I uh, watched it on Christmas Eve. I guess as Allison was tossing her guts out. <laughs> Man. Sorry, darling. No, it's all right. I, I, I also watched it. I just don't remember which day that was, but it was the first time I had seen it colorized. And oh, really? Was, yeah. And it, um, I remember watching it as a kid a lot in black and white. And then, yeah, this one was the first time I had, I had watched it colorized. 
and you know seeing it as an adult and then you understand more about what he's going through uh, it, it's a great movie it's a really really good film but that's like it's something that I like about older Christmas stories and and films are that they are kind of these like whispers to ghosts and these whispers to like um like angels and unseen things and and so in this I, I rewatched like a thousand versions of A Christmas Carol and um and I love the use of speaking to the dead as a way of like um showing the living to change the living's life to see, you know, what their effect is for themselves, the effect for their family and the effect for the community in the future. That's the whole conceit of Spirited from twenty twenty two, which I watched with Ryan Reynolds and Will Farrell. So it's a Christmas Carol story where Will Ferrell plays the Ghost of Christmas, Ghost of Christmas present, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a whole, like not a corporation, but like a group of people who are like processing papers and documents and case files of people going through this like past, present, future, this whole journey. And it's a musical. And so like Ryan Reynolds plays this like shitty marketer who's able to like incite violence uh, and just like inflammatory (laughs) social media shit. Right. Yeah. Just create the most polarizing messaging possible. And so Will Ferrell comes and tries to change Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Reynolds being who he is. He's trying to flip the script and put it back on Will Ferrell. Like, hey, you've been doing this a long time. Like, why are you hiding behind haunting people? Yeah. (laughs) Instead of like living your life the way you should have. I as, see. As I um, see. Scrooge. Will Ferrell is Scrooge. Oh, in a previous life? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It is good. I'm just imagining like you're, you're, it's like Ponderous a ponderous chain. Sorry. Like you're sitting on your couch. It's a Saturday afternoon. You're just in your underwear. And then poof, all of a sudden, like a more attractive version of you, like shows up in a room with like an old spirit. <laughs> and they say, this could be you. And then they poof back out of it. Again, if you're like, what? I'm I'm the I'm the miserable version of the future. Like I'm I'm the the bad possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those movies. I think the ghost thing is is effective, but I also think it's partially effective because it does play into people's like guilt and shame yeah. in this like fun manipulative way, where it's like, oh man, I am fucking up my life. I guess I better be better. And then you go a couple weeks and you forget. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Allison? Good. I mean, based on what you were saying, I just ordered like a new day planner and the, in the front of the day planner, it had all these very intentional um, things to fill out of like more of this, less that. Um, what are your goals? What are some books you want? I don't know, just stuff like that. But often as you know, the, the days move forward and you kind of roll back into your old patterns. Some of the reason why is just that I, I'm not thinking or I don't have the intention anymore by seeing those things. So I actually really, really liked that I, I now can like flip to the front page of this planner and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. I wanted to, I wanted to flip this habit for another, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that might be. Um, I, I would like to try again because the, the spirit of 2022 was so mean that um, I would, I would like to attempt to just, walk gently and with like a balloon into 2020 <laughs> mm-hmm. like the child like the child in the red balloon like the children's movie yeah just yeah like, just yeah. like yeah i just just innocence and, mm-hmm. and kindness but we'll see like the last few years have been crazy a dark gritty reboot balloon 
I propose. <laughs> no, damn it. <laughs> Wait for the reboot Poison. in 2024. Yeah. Uh, I propose we do a New Year's party every month. So the first day of the month we do. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to be hungover every month, but it's only the we'll first be able day. to dance anyway. Have intentions. Yeah. 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 I was pretty drunk on New Year's Eve and I sang Shaka Khan to like the best of my ability and then I posted it on Instagram and that is like living fearlessly right there. I mm-hmm. am I, I watched it in the morning and I was like, oh no. <laughs> so what happened to that post? It's it was just it's just You're up, keeping it? I just up there. You're people, bra- you're so brave. People might forget. We'll see. <laughs> Wait until you're unemployed and yeah. then you have a job interview. Isn't that, no, I'm just Is this you? Um, <laughs> why would you think you can sing like Shaka Khan? Um, all right. Well, I watched, I always do this to myself when Josh goes out of town is I find a documentary or a movie that ruins my brain for like the first two days. Can I, can I comment on that for just a second? Yeah. So um, I think I'm not going to speak for you. But you know that I don't necessarily run to horror movies or scary things as like my first go. Yeah. Right. Unless they're like funny or whatever. I think that you try, you tend to like overcompensate. Whereas like the moment I'm gone, it's like the floodgates are open and you have to find <laughs> like, you know, Terrifier 3 or like whatever the fuck is happening out there in the I world. I don't think you're, you're not wrong, but also I, if it were left up to me, I'd probably only be watching like B grade horror films because I like, I like the makeup. Um, but when it is true, when Josh leaves, I go for stuff that I don't want him to know I'm dabbling in. (laughs) That's the squishy side of the Oreo. Yeah. That's my dirty side of the Oreo. (laughs) Um, so what I did is I watched the, uh, the film smile, uh, directed by Parker Finn Mm -hmm. and, um, it scared the shit out of me. I had to sleep with the light on, and I did. Are you serious? Yeah, it scared the shit out when, of me. So how often does that happen? Uh, not that often. Mm. I mean, for the amount that I'm putting in my skull, like it, you'd think it would be more often, but your it w- skull is just this nightmare factory of ideas and images. <laughs> I mean, essentially, all my Instagram, everybody I follow on Instagram are special effects makeup artists. So there are it's so or a pathology. So there's so often when I open Basically up the, the opposite sides of the same coin. Yeah. Like every time I open up, I now and I've said this before, but I can now like differentiate between what is a very hyper realistic dead body versus a dead body because of how often I'm looking at it on Instagram. That's a it's gross. Put it on the resume. <laughs> So, just link to your letterbox uh, profile in no, your resume. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my list on letterbox. Um, so anyway, smile is a lot like it follows. So we we have a a, a parasitic spirit or curse that is passed from one person to the next. And what I found extremely troubling about it is that like in It Follows, the person that's cursed or is carrying the virus or whatever is the only person that can see who's coming for them. And so it leads to this um, psychopathy and this and this breakdown mentally for this one person as they're becoming more and more paranoid and their life is falling apart because of the paranoia and everyone around them is like, oh my God, what is happening to you? And... Um, I felt like that was the scariest part. But then at the end, the 
demon that they created to be the smile monster was like, I, it just, I was like, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and then it, and then it ended and I almost went back and rewatched it because the last scene or like the last two scenes are so, um, captivating and and well-balanced and slow motion and very like, um, it was a very interesting image. But I, I was like, I was like, oh my god! And then it's like, now I got to get up and use the bathroom, and the and the lights off, and I'm scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so it's a very, it was entertaining. I, I, I might be one of those things where I'm like a one and done with that one. But, um, but it's not humorous like some of the concepts might be in It Follows. But anyway, how's the music in Smile? Because you're comparing it to It Follows, which the music in that is phenomenal. So. You know how, how auditory that's just not unless it's pretty out of this world. I don't often take note of um, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I don't Zow. I don't often take note unless I it, it's very different from something I've heard before. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't I don't remember being swept up by it. The yeah. last the last thing I remember being swept up by was dragged over concrete and there was zero music in that except for the funk band. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it, it was striking because it wasn't there. Okay. I'll get back to you on that. But I didn't, sorry, I, I didn't mean to stump you. I just, no, it's, I, it's just, it's just honestly, like I'm just more of a visual person. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I went and treated myself to a movie date and I went to go see uh, Darren Aronofsky's uh, the whale. Ooh. And it was, it was really, was um, it a packed house? No, it wasn't. It was also the day after Christmas. Okay. So I, people were out of town and it was like, they wanted to feel joy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I want? Emotional cutting. So it wasn't, it wasn't really a packed house. It uh, was a, like kind of a blustery rainy night. And, um, uh, but I was really looking forward to seeing this. And um, the rumors are true. Brendan Fraser fucking kills it. Mm. I, I believed every ounce of, pain and guilt and depression that he as this character was going through and had been going through however um sadie sink who is the kind of pouty redhead that's in stranger things plays his daughter and you literally could pluck her out of stranger things and plop her in this movie Mm -hmm. but i think she might have been more emotionally dynamic in stranger things Mm. her um I know she's supposed to be playing a bratty teenager and maybe I just don't like bratty teenagers based on uncle buck. However, her callback episodes yeah. 115. Woo! Her, <laughs> her style for this character was so sharp movements and sharp anger and, and, and temper tantrums that it was like, it was so the energy level was so high and just constant that it was really it took me out of it every single time she was on screen. And I, I feel like because of her performance, um, it made the movie suffer as a whole for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so it was like uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. We've got Gary of. Oldman crushing everything. And you've got Keanu Reeves, yes. like just being Keanu Reeves <laughs> in the same movie yes. where it's like, one performance is overwhelming the other one. You can't bring up that movie because that movie's incredibly horny. And I'm assuming <laughs> the whale is not horny at all. I'm it's a little horny. It starts out horny. Okay. All right. Um, but I get, I agree with Josh. No, I totally. Other than. No, I completely. Josh's comparison is true. Because, you know, you're totally right because 
Brendan Fraser is like knocking, knocking everything out of the park. And then there's a, there's a couple characters. There's also, um, uh, a character named Liz and she is very snippy and quick and there doesn't seem to be a lot of like, uh, um, emotional range in the character. So it just, I don't know. Okay. So that kind of took me out of it, but it was very good and very heartbreaking, but also really sweet. I don't want to give anything away. People haven't seen it yet. Cause it's very new. Um, and then, yeah, like a thousand versions of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> oh, and then I watched Jack Frost, not the one with Michael Keaton. Oh, the deadly snowman one. Yes. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Oh yes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's literally just a puppet. Yep. And that's great. And I was here for it. And, and then um, I heard rushing water and realized that the freeze we had here broke our washing machines. Mm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. It was a very, okay. it was a very dramatic. I'm glad that didn't happen when you were watching Smile. Oh my god! With the uh, Jack Frost. Now, can you tell the difference between a realistic snowman and a hyper realistic snowman? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, pretty. <laughs> so sorry. That was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> No, but leave, seriously. I'm going to leave like a half-melted, tortured snowman in front of your house. Oh, that'd be that'd be amazing. My neighbors <laughs> already think we're the weird house on the street, like with our fucking blackberry bushes and That's the pumpkin. you are. <laughs> 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 the pumpkin you gave us a couple months ago is, is going strong. Is it the really? The pre-surgery pumpkin is not rotted. Aww. It's just sitting on the front porch. It's po- been porch. too cold to rot. I bet, the ins- I bet the inside is fucked up. It's a metaphor, okay? <laughs> Or a simile. It's a biodome. Yeah, it's here's its own your, ecosystem in there. Here's your recovery pumpkin. Oh, you'll get well soon, pumpkin. So, so yeah, so that was kind of the the run of my of my holiday week. So um, with that, why don't we uh, why don't we slip into some glowing gear? I've got glow sticks in the freezer. Let's pop those puppies and let's get into fucking 1982's Tron. The computer, an extension of the human intellect. The NCOM 511, center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Programmed by Master Control to survive by all means. Soon, the ultimate tool will become the ultimate enemy. I still do not understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these... Memories is the evidence. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Kevin Flynn, computer genius. 
taken prisoner and held captive within the digital world of the computer itself. Jeez. Jeff Bridges coming in hot. (laughs) (laughs) So when talented computer engineer and arcade god Kevin Flynn, played by Jeff Bridges, finds out that an executive at his company, Ed Dillinger, played by David Warner, has been stealing his fucking work. Flynn tries to hack the company's computer system. However, Flynn is transported into the digital world where he has to face off against Dillinger's computerized likeness, Sark, and the imposing master control program, (laughs) aided by the program Tron, uh, played by I'm just gonna chill out. It's <laughs> <laughs> like so, is she being condescending or is she hyped too hyped? I got I gotta have myself. Aided by the program Tron <laughs> played by Bruce Box uh Boxleitner and Yori, which uh who's played by Cindy Morgan. Flynn becomes a freedom fighter slash demigod for the oppressed programs trapped inside the grid. Do you guys remember the first time you saw this movie? I do. It was three or four years ago. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, recent. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had uh, grown up with the arcade machine, um, which I can talk about. Um, Please. So, yeah, with the arcade machine, it was was of note for a few reasons. Like, one was the arcade cabinet was of a weird, like, size and how deep the... Between the cabinet and the monitor was abnormal. And then also I had a fucking, like, flight stick and a little... Uh, rotator spinner thing and you had the, the physical component and then also there was like mini games the, the arcade machine had like four different mini games that were in some ways tied to the movie and sometimes not and i was like this is weird like it's like a proto mario party like what is going on oh, interesting uh with this arcade like i don't understand how you get like a high score when you have these mini games and what's why is there a flight stick when it's not a fucking like flight simulator um so yeah, it was it was the arcade machine, and then one of the best looking cabinets I think existed is. of the time because that translucent the joystick and yes. the knob and just like the the iridescent like holographic yes. graphic stickers, it was just a beautiful yes, machine. A beautiful machine, absolutely. Um, oh. And then it, for some reason, I just never saw it until the Hollywood uh, presented a seventy millimeter cut of it like three or four years ago oh i remember when they were doing that and it blew my fucking mind yeah because the the screening was completely sold out we all know like seeing a movie in a sold out environment just completely changes Mm -hmm. the energy of watching that movie and something that a lot of people don't bring up when when they talk about 70 millimeter is not just the image but also the optical um track on the side of the film provides a higher fidelity so the sounds better Mm. and the surround sound uh tracks are able to yeah, just like have a higher fidelity because each each sound is a separate track. Mm-hmm. Um, just like if you were looking at editing audio. Yeah. Um, and so the sound was amazing too. Um, yeah, and so I, I thought it was fantastic. And as an adult, I felt kind of, it felt kind of silly that I hadn't seen it before given my upbringing with computers and video games and yeah. all that. Yeah. What about you, Josh? Do you remember I don't actually remember the first time I saw Tron. Um, I was probably a kid, to be honest. I mean, like it was, I probably saw it for the first time, like on VHS on some stupid small CRT television. (laughs) Um, Not an amazing 70 millimeter at the Hollywood theater with the best sound system. My big dick energy coming out swinging (laughs) early in this episode. (laughs) 
I, I remember it, you know, it, like it, it was commercialized and it had like merch back in the day. So I remember there was probably like, you know, the kid's book or yeah. something uh, like that. You know, yeah. things like that that accompanied the movie because, you know, the, you know, home theater systems weren't what they are these days. And then I think I saw it again um, as a teenager and I thought it was cool. Particularly mm-hmm. what was interesting to me was the, at that point was like the vehicle design and like the, the production design of it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I thought like the, the light cycles and like the tanks and all of the, the, the weird architecture, you know, I just, that to me was interesting. And then um, as a, as a fun movie, kind of like in the background until they, they did that um, teaser in 2008 for the, the sequel legacy oh, we, we oh might, yeah, yeah might be getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit no, no? okay so joseph kasinski the director of top gun maverick uh back in the day he basically told disney like hey we don't really know what this is going to be yet just give me some money i'll make like a two minute like three minute short to show you my idea of what this is going to be yeah and so he put the assets together and they made a little teaser that was cold dropped as in like there was no advance information as to what people were going in to see. Mm-hmm. And I forget what movie it was on the lead in for, but they played it at Comic-Con in this 2008. And, uh, I watched some like leaked, like cell phone video from 2008 on my shitty, like handing me down iMac yes. <laughs> and watching the teaser that was being leaked from Comic-Con for, would be the eventually be the Tron sequel, like absolutely rock my shit. Like the moment, like you see these guys in these like weird spacesuits, like okay, whatever. But then in the sun, like a, a button gets pushed on a stick, and it transforms into like this motorcycle flying through the air. I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that that nostalgia from being a kid, yeah, yeah, all came rushing back. Yeah, Brad. can you do me a favor? What's that? Can you describe to the best of your memory the first time I saw this movie? Okay. Yeah. So this was early in our relationship (laughs) and I think you had been out and about and you came over. I want to say it wasn't that late in the day. It was like mid evening, like seven or 8 PM. Mm -hmm. And, um, you had a couple drinks in you and you came over and I was just hanging out at home and Tron was on TV and we just decided to watch Tron and you were like losing your mind. Like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I um, was emphatic about it. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. And you're just like sliding into the couch, like melting. Like, uh. So a couple of drinks, huh? Several. I don't remember where I had I had been out with a girlfriend or something like that and went over and it, and I was looking at it and I was and just for me it was one of those moments where I was like when was this made sure and yeah. and Josh was like oh like early eighties I don't know and I was and I kept you know Josh and I would talk and then I kept like watching and looking at uh, looking at the characters in the grid system yeah of being shot in black and white. And then having this like rotoscope like glow coming off of them. And I didn't understand how they did it. But what I was connecting was if this was done in the early 80s, this is a super technical. I haven't seen anything close to this before. 
And it's just, I don't care if the story sucks visually. This is dope as shit. Mm-hmm. But I was also extremely drunk. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for pretty period, colors. For a period of uh, several hours, it was the best movie you'd ever seen in your life. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I really watched it for the first time a few nights ago. Um, but this, this is a really complicated movie for when it came out. Our director, Steven Linsberger, uh, wrote, directed, and he didn't, he didn't, do movies this what he was not a director for anything before he just really really liked technology and video games and wanted he was like oh this would this this would make a like a dope ass movie mm-hmm. and uh thought maybe about animating it but then he's like no no i want you know i want real people in here and he shopped it around all the studios were like no 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 but apparently disney was in a very weird growing spot with some of the films that were coming out at the time and they were like mm-hmm. yeah fuck it why not and that is so much faith to put into someone who's never directed before, especially for something that, that was this technically challenging to create. And, uh, and so I wanted to talk about that well, okay. incorporation think, a little bit. I think there you you, you might be seeing things one way, but there's another way to look at it, which is, Hey, there's this technical problem to solve. And there's only one guy that we know of that is seems to be working on this project. So there's only one man for the job. That's a good point. So like I don't, we, I don't get the sense that that was the case, yeah. uh, in at least the retrospectives. So the, the nice thing about this being funded by Disney is there's a plethora of retrospective content, right? So there's a feature length documentary, which I watched the commentary, which I listened to. <clears throat> Thank you. And, uh, you're welcome. Thank you for your service. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for all of you. Um, and I, I got the sense that this movie was actually pretty fucking punk rock. Mm. Uh, that's actually what impressed me the most before rewatching it this time was realizing that this was a person who was obsessed with some weird character made of light, which I don't know if you've seen the his logo before. Yeah. It's yeah, fucking that. rad as shit. Um, and he actually sold his logo to like different rock stations. And it's it's so much fun. We're going to post this to Instagram for sure. Um and so this character Tron was their, his company's logo. And so mm-hmm. he just kept iterating and iterating on this idea. And he had so many storyboards uh, and such a thought out way of approaching this that I think he snuck his foot in the door just enough from his passion and his preparedness uh, that it struck just at the right time when Disney was hungry for new ideas. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I I had to... I had to just straight up copy and paste this part right here because this this goes into essentially the process that was done in order to create the world building that they had for the Matrix. And it says, um, the scenes in the computer world were produced by using blacklit animation and computer-generated imagery. The actors' performances in the computer world were captured on black and white Kodak film using 65 millimeter Super Panavision 70 cameras, and each frame was printed on high contrast Kodalith sheet film as a positive and then subsequently a negative. These had colored lights shown through and then onto color film to produce the characteristic glowing and required a separate exposure and film layer for each character detail, object, etc., which produced each frame in Tron when every layer was combined, with some having 16 layers or more. Holy shit. As cameramen and the negative passed 26 times through the camera's eye, adding many matte layers to add a single filtered color to the film each pass, 
The cell sandwiches were quite thick and difficult to flatten under the animation stand uh, uh, plated glass. CGI scenes by Abel and Associates were outputted from CRTs onto horizontally running 35s, this division, and these layers combined with those from the live action. In the real world, performances were captured on standing color negative 65 millimeter film, and some were shot on 35 millimeter and then blown up to 65 millimeter. And I don't know what a lot of that means, but it sounds complicated as shit. So it sounds like an incredible metal. Yeah, this episode uh, covering this movie is going to be highly technical, listener. So yeah. we're not going to be talking too much about the plot. We will, but we're we going will, to focus mostly on the things that Allison talked about and more. For yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so in the in the making of documentary in the early two thousands, there's a couple of visual cues that they give to highlight a bit of this process. They only they only talk about the the common the common composites that they did, which was the suit the light on the suit, the face, uh, the background, and then there was a fifth one, I can't remember. But there were five ones that were like the common layers that existed throughout the movie. I'm sure there were more. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, they were painting on film. They were doing crazy glass shit, lens shit, on top of all the set tricks that they had to do. A lot of the people were filmed independent of each other. So that's probably a couple of the extra layers where some of these scenes had like four people and they weren't actually on the set at the same time. So they're compositing multiple characters into a single scene. And on top of that, the computer graphics where rendering a single frame uh, on the computer could often take like 10 minutes just to do a single frame, if not longer. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they were, didn't have... And they were photographing like a screen. Yeah. yeah. Like So they would it, resolve the, the computer graphic to a monitor and then take an individual picture of a frame and then wait for the however many hours or probably have them in sequence. Yeah. And, and the, and the computer animation was done with tools that didn't really exist. And so they were typing in numbers. I mean, we're talking linear algebra. Like this is like basic, like game engine rendering engine shit that like people take for granted. Now you don't need to know the shit, but it's like you're typing in literal numbers for the X axis, Y axis and Z axis to create polygons which is Polygons. fucking metal and punk rock as fuck, dude. Holy this shit. This movie is so much cooler than I thought it was. <laughs> After researching it the last couple of days, I'm like, holy shit. These people were just fucking in love with this idea yeah. and were doing everything they could possibly do to get whatever idea they had out. And you can you can absolutely see it. And this is why in my, in my drunken haze at Josh's apartment where I was like, this is... I don't even know how they would put this together in 1980 or 1981, probably when they were working on it like this. I I can't think of anything coming out of that era. That's even remotely close to looking like this. But I also know that, you know, there were, we've got films coming out in from like the early 1920s where they were able to do these outstanding camera tricks and have these matte paintings and create these effects that were incredibly eerie and spooky. So I, I'm aware that there's amazing ways to trick an audience, but this just seemed very is extremely ambitious. Yes, uh, the one of the producers, a guy named uh, Donald Kushner, who as as Brady mentioned, like had to fight for this thing tooth and nail, described the experience as jumping off a cliff and then building yourself wings on the way down, <laughs> because they 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 were inventing the technology as they went. They were basically just 
using a lot of expertise and a lot of skilled people in the room, but they had to invent the technology as they went. As a, as a throwback to what you're saying, Josh, we did an episode on Total Recall mm-hmm. and where it was very similar in the sense where they were creating the technology as they go, where that's the really... Oh, yeah, with yeah, the mocap With thing. the mocap, yeah. yeah. So that very simple scene that people kind of take for granted of them walking behind the x-ray machine was technology that didn't exist yet. Yeah, for golf swings. Yeah, and... Uh, and <laughs> And they had to put an incredible amount of work just to just to make it happen. And I so I think that Tron is such an excellent example of using everything to its absolute limit and then some right to to create. So to create a film to back up the conversation just a little bit. I I was paying attention to what you're talking about and I did do some reading on the process that they described. I'm still not completely convinced. I totally understand it. But what's more common in animation is if there's like something that's glowing like sunshine or fire or whatever, they'll basically create essentially a black and white transparency to allow a a physical light to be recorded through the transparency to achieve the glowing effect. Mm. But from what you're telling me, it's like they basically had to do every frame with every character and every element, Mm -hmm. produce the transparency record the glowing of a, of a figure in a room and then then counterpose the glowing part through the transparency. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then build a composite of every other thing that's happening in that same frame. I think that's exactly what they did. And the light that you're talking about, there's different characteristics where they would add bloom to it based on being able to shine the light a little bit brighter, which mm-hmm. would cause, cause that kind of radiant look where there isn't hard edges mm-hmm. and also they would do painting where they'd actually paint on sometimes the, that radiant light. Yeah. It, it's fucking nuts, it's man. Incredible. It is nuts. It's incredible. Now, <laughs> now let's take, let's, let's kind of walk it back a little bit because we, we obviously, this film is a technical achievement and I don't think it looks dated. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about like, oh, it's a, it's such an artifact of the 1980s, and I still think it looks dope as shit. And I it would, looks dope as shit. Yeah, and I and I like I pref- full stop. Yeah, and I I actually prefer it uh, style wise to uh, Tron Legacy. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, there's two things I can think of with the the age comments is just the like Sid Mead's like very geometric shapes that feel kind of primitive for some people. And then the spandex. I think the spandex is like the main thing that like the bike helmet spandex. I mean, we're all, all three of us are wearing our spandex. I mean, you know, you got me with my bike helmet from commuting downtown. Josh's riot protest helmet and Allison from having a soft spot on your head. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you can come up with? Sorry. That's the only thing that you can. So we all love the the costume, is what I'm trying to say. Is we're all wearing our garb, garb like the Tron guy meme. I do, I do love. I'm just that saying, it's how, that's like the most '80s thing. Yeah, I mean, I I do love that they uh, encouraged um, Jeff to wear a dance strap because he was producing too much of a bulge for his nice. spandex. Mm. Um, it's, so it's, it's like a jock strap. Yeah. It's a thong, bro. It's, it's, a, it really? it's a thong for male dancers that really kind of holds everything. Uh-huh. It kind of keeps it high and tight. High and tight, yeah. Yeah. Um, men, men can't have the word thong. We can't we can't say a man wears the thong. It's got to be a dance strap. You can take the thongs off and just leave them on like coat hangers, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Like that. After you're done killing people. Yeah, what was that movie? <laughs> 
Uh, breaking point. Thank you. Yes. Thank yes. you. Um, I would say though that the, the the guards' costumes just look like they had thrown like hockey pads on a. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like that kind of let me down, but anyway, going back to like the fundamentals of the movie, um, I still found watching this that I was getting lost, and yep. I do think, unfortunately the reason maybe this didn't do better is that it's not for as spectacular as it is to look at. It's, it's not that great or linear of a story. I mean, if, if we're talking about like commercial success uh, as on the, the merits of the movie, yeah, I would say 1982 was an absolute um, embarrassment of riches in terms of like visual effects, heavy science fiction movies. Cause mm-hmm. you had the thing. You had Blade Runner, you had mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, which had its own technical achievements. Um, you e- had Poltergeist. E.T. Yeah, and of course, then that, and, and that was E.T. was a good year. Yeah, 82 was banging. And it, here's the other thing is that, um, you know, the Tron did all right, but it didn't meet, meet expectations. But there were other movies that came out that year that got absolutely... Like they, they did not do very well at all. Like Blade Runner, for example, mm-hmm. Blade Runner was a huge bomb. Mm. Um, but of course, in the cultural sense, it lives on and on. Yeah. So the other part of your comment, Allison, about like plot or the story, I think it, it's very obtuse even today in regards to story points being abstract. They're trying to connect people to abstract comment or points of a computer and that the parts of the computer could be software, like the the case of like the agents attaching themselves to the soft to the rest of the computer, which is a real thing. Yeah. Or the hardware components, right? Memory, I/O bus, you know, all these the CPU, all this different stuff. That's like for most people even today is like what? What are these parts of a computer? So these people love this idea so much and really love the passion of like the history of computing and where computing has gone. And really were uh, studious about being in touch with a lot of these computer scientists. That it's a very heady movie that is asking a lot of the audience where it's like, hey, this is a popcorn movie because it's a Disney movie. It's like, yeah. no, this is like a weird art film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. You're not wrong. It's more like Son of the White Mare. Like you watch it and you're like, oh, like Son of the White Mare and like some of the things that are going on in this movie, like the IO Tower with um, Dumont or whatever. Like that was giving me like, Marcel uh, Yankovic vibes. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Hungarian am- animation yeah. vibes. Absolutely. Yeah. I It it made me immediately think of Andros from Star from Starfox. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 The I, best boss in 1990s video games. You know, without like a big computer background, I got to say a lot of that like went right over my head. I thought that the plot of Tron and some of the reasons why it gets a little convoluted and a little messy and why... It, it's difficult to understand why why do they just jump on the the video game uh, sailboat and why is the aircraft carrier being erased and like all there's a there's a part in the movie where I don't really understand like the the reasons and why why does Flynn get to jump into the MCP well that's that's but, what I that's what I mean is is like it feels like I looked away and missed something important and then came back and I'm not quite sure how the plot has moved forward not necessarily like the idea of what's um, like the concept of it or some of the terminology, but like, let, it, me, let me compliment what we're, 
let me reiterate what okay. I'm trying to say is slightly different is that I re- I recognize as somebody who's in compu- like computing and have, has dealt with supercomputers and stuff the background and the obtuse shit that's leading like so the 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 the, the plot gaps yeah I agree with you are there but I can see what they were trying to do from an abstract sense from a computing perspective I see. does when that make you, sense yes I have a question <clears throat> when you have worked with supercomputers in the past. And you go up, and it's like a godlike face <laughs> that's like spinning and twirling. This tower of pure energy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> does it does it speak to you like like you're a cute kitten or something, or does it look at you I have like, like an a elf? really deep British accent? <laughs> Dude, there I I work with people who understood computers on that level, and I was jealous of them because you'd like see them in a data center. With their little badge, because you know a lot of these com- supercomputers are like air gapped, right? They're not; mm. you can't reach them. Uh, so I'd have coworkers or people on my team who would actually fly to these, like Livermore. Livermore was a customer of ours, and they would stand in front of these computers, like speaking to them, basically um, with their uh, their uh, their understanding of all the different components. Because like you have to keep in mind, these components and supercomputers are highly specialized. I mean. If you think about computers now, you have like the networking cables, uh, you have uh, the fans on your laptops. So imagine that just like to the craziest degree, right? Where you have cooling systems and data centers and you have perfectly patched cables where the people actually design the way cables are supposed to be bolted to the frames of the computers, sliding in, you know, these computers into these racks. Like there's a whole science to setting the systems up. And uh, while there's no wireframe face bosses unfortunately i do think there's a yeah like a a certain understanding in that field of people who can like kind of personalize these machines it's fucking crazy have you heard of this new technology that just got released where you can like you can type in like i want you to write me an article about tron in a in a silly tone and it'll and i need it to be 1500 words and it just creates it yeah it's chat gpt i think yeah yeah um and it's really horrifying how convincing it is it's Um, it's incredibly horrifying yeah i'm yeah like i follow uh, i've been ever since this you know like mid journey and some of these ai generated art programs come up it's like i'm thinking like some of them are really cool and they're really fun because they have like a very uh, distinctive like style to them like you can definitely sense like the 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 you can see the 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 quote-unquote artist's hand on how these things are being produced, but I've watched some of these AIs work on industrial design because you know, I had an industrial design background and uh, in industrial design iteration is like a huge deal mm-hmm. to where you don't want to see one final version. You want to see a hundred different variations on a similar theme and the AI can just do it just like that. And a lot of the designs are coming up with are really great. So I feel like, the thing you mentioned about the text generation as well as the industrial design, I feel like it's going to be very difficult for some of these professions to survive. I agree. I agree. And it, but it like with all of this that's happening culturally, I do like to imagine that somewhere there's a giant plasma tank. That's like, it's got like one, like ultra intelligent dolphin in there. I was hoping you're going to say dolphin. <laughs> With like, yeah with like with like cables and shit coming off of it um and it's it's that is the quantum computer and like it's just one smart dolphin it's just doing everything <laughs> that like telepathically can just be like hello brady mm. 
I'm a bit more of an octopus guy because they're a little bit more low key. They they don't show off as much as dolphins. It's just, yeah. Well, it would just match its environment. It just becomes you know translucent just mm-hmm. in this tank. <sighs> I guess to to bring it back around, it's like I guess there is um, as there was at, with Disney during the production of this movie. There's an intrinsic fear of the loss of agency that comes with computers. Well, yeah. I mean, the Disney animators refused to work on this movie because they were convinced it was going to take their jobs. And lo and behold, 22 years later. It kind of did. It did. Yeah. They they had a go-between. Harrison Ellenshaw, who was basically the guy who... I don't know if you, this came up in the thing, the documentary that you were mm-hmm. watching, but he basically has, had to go as a go-between because he understood the project. He wanted their, he wanted the studio to do, be a part of something that was innovative and fresh. Yeah. But he had also been around like the old guard long enough to where he could sort of speak their language. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so he had to do a lot of negotiations mm-hmm. between the two parties to get everybody to work together nice. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's just a, as that a, as a jumping off point, um, not only is this a technical achievement, but this is like a management, like project management achievement, because what Josh just highlighted, there's like four relationships with third parties that have to be considered. So there were like four CGI companies that they had to, to work with, all had different specialties, right? So you had one company that would be good at the wireframes, one company that would be good at the 3D, one company that'd be good at like with the Tron tunnel, you know, uh, one, one team that was uh, good at the boss. Mm-hmm. So that was just the CGI, but then you had on top of that, like all the frames that needed to be painted and they realized that each one of them needed to be hand painted over a certain amount of time. And so within six to nine months, they were able to successfully do all this hand animation because they shipped 80% of the frames over to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's called Cuckoos or something like that. Um, yeah, a team of 80 Taiwanese animators like hand painted a bunch of shit and shipped it back. Um, I just think about the logistics of like coordinating all these teams back to, uh, to create this result that we talked about earlier, of compositing things into yeah. a single camp, like a th- using an animation camera. It's fucking nuts. Yeah. This thing is fucking nuts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And supercomputers are fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. But I mean, so, so like, so let's kind of like push push like the, the outcome of what had happened with Tron. So now we're starting to have more and more movies that are, that are, um, using uh, computer graphic images in the films. And we're starting to see, and we did see, very um, troubling in the early 2000s, I would say, that <laughs> that it's a CGI decimated careers in the film industry. And oh, then, yeah. I mean, we watched Mad God with uh, Phil Tippett, and yeah. we watched that documentary about his career and how basically once Jurassic Park hit or... What was it before Jurassic Park? It was Jurassic Park. Yeah, once Jurassic Park hit, basically Steven Spielberg proved that CGI could be effective in movies. Mm. And all of a sudden, all these puppeteers and practical effects guys were suddenly out of work. Or if you were Phil Tippett, you had to figure out how to work around that as a problem and reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And it it was the same for um, it was the same for a lot of like our most beloved uh, creature creators. You know, like Rick Baker had a dry spell. Um, We lost uh, Rob Bottin. Like he's doing real estate somewhere in LA, but like we, <laughs> we had, we had all these heavy hitters, um, you know, that were like in the, you know, seventies, eighties, early nineties. And then a lot of these people, their careers were put on pause for quite a while. I think there's a, there, obviously there's a huge resurgence in what we're seeing with practical that's come back in movies in the last mm-hmm. five, 10 years. But 
when I was living in Los Angeles and trying to get into the film industry, the only department I wanted to be in was creature effects or practical effects. And everyone I spoke to was like, oh, that's just not a thing anymore. The, like they've moved all of them off the studios. They're all private companies um, like and small businesses. And they're used for doing special effects at Fright Night at Universal Studios. Yeah. And it was devastating. Yeah. And then, you know, if we... And, but And the other thing is, not to interrupt you, but it felt like during that period where a lot of movies were using some really iffy CGI, it was this new toy came out of the box mm -hmm. and a lot of directors and a lot of studios wanted to play with it and see if they could figure it out. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily mature. And if you're not, you know, like really masterful with the uh, storyboarding and the way that you're using it, it comes off as being garbage. Like there are so many bad examples of CGI in like the late nineties to like the, the mid aughts. Yeah. Well, it's also, they never really took into account what creates reality for the viewers because we are mammals. There is a certain thing that our brain recognizes as natural movement. And so um, like the Matrix 2 or Harry Potter or like the mummy. <laughs> the Agent Smith bra. Yeah. yeah, where it's like. Polar Express. I mean, so Polar Express, weird. where it's it's this uncanny valley for Polar Express, but it's also the, the movement of the bodies and the frame rate was so high that it took people out of the setting of the narrative of the film. Sure. So they, they actually found out they had to slow down the frame rate yeah, of the CGI of in order to make it make sense for the viewers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously that develops over the time or that develops over time. But Or you do Peter Jackson and just fast forward to 60 frames per second with The Hobbit, which I saw in the theaters, which was trippy as fuck. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Seeing it in, in 60 frames where he's like, let me try like actually speeding up film frame rate to be closer to CGI. Interesting. And, uh, was it stressful? It seems like it'd be stressful. I'd say within <laughs> 30 to 60 minutes, I started to acclimatize. And as we all know, okay. Peter after the vomiting stops, like, <laughs> 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 I need to go to the bathroom. Does anybody want popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, but which, which the, the issue with the practical versus CG is not that, CG doesn't look good. It looks too good. It like it looks too clean. And then one of the reasons why Practical made its comeback, you know, ten years ago or wherever, whenever it started to come back again, was because you know it's got weight, it's got heft, and it's messy. It will accurately indicate the light in the room, mm -hmm. rather than some poor guy on a computer in a different studio desperately trying to recreate those conditions. Yeah. So you know, with Agent Smith. And with the Scorpion King and all these other situations, you've got this intersection of uh, directors or more likely studio people just being overly ambitious. Mm -hmm. They 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 want ten pounds of effect out of a in a and a five dollar budget. Yeah, or some poor analogy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's an ambitious quality, but there's also the limits of the technology, which is you can't necessarily keep it grounded unless it's actually in the room with people. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And where do like where do you think it came off the rails? Because I, I think I think the incorporation in Tron, especially for not having digital film, is incredible. And you know we start to see it more and more um, as we creep into the '90s. But when do, when do you think it like flew off the rails? Because what was the movie that you, was it Virus that you and I were watching? Mm -hmm. The CGI in that is amazing. 
You know, the, the uh, way that they incorporate it with the practical was amazing. I think there was a moment where CGI and CGI backed big budget action films um, became silly enough to where the response wasn't necessarily about visual effects. It was about the total story writing approach that they wanted to see the world that was more lived in and more, more, more grounded. Mm-hmm. And you guys may not like my answer, but I want to say the, re- the return to center for practical effects was probably Batman Begins because it's a big budget movie using a very popular character. And they basically took all of like the, the really silly kid stuff and chucked it out in replace of trying to build as much of a practical, physical, effectless world as possible mm. even though there of course there were some special effects and the whole train sequence and all that stuff i haven't seen that movie in but forever. i feel like i would say if i were to guess if i were just to just swing one out there i would say batman begins was the return of, of practical to to bring to bring practical effects back into popularity i see okay before 1999 i mean maybe allison bringing up the matrix matrix 2 matrix reloaded in 99 maybe i'm just like anchoring to that or is that 2000 whatever i think that was 2000 okay uh that just feels like around the uh, around that time um but it's weird because i you know for me i wasn't really into like a lot of hollywood blockbusters in that way like i remember seeing like freddy versus jason and like the the freddy worm was like fucking bogus as shit that was like 2003 (laughs) or 2004 but keep in mind, like being really into Japanese video games, like Final Fantasy Spirits Within was, I think, 2001, and it was like oh, yeah. all CGI. Yeah, I remember they that. played at like major movie theaters, mm-hmm. um, and it was convincing enough for me. Not like as a, not like as a, um, these characters are replacing humans, like they did in Polar Express, where I remember all like the think pieces were like, "Will there come a day where virtual act, virtual, <laughs> virtual actors will replace real actors?" It's like, no, calm down, like. You know, stop clickbaiting me. Um, this is working. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was more just like, hey, I knew this thing was like on the vanguard of CGI and it was fun. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the story, that's another thing. Um, it's very Japanese. But, I, you know, I grew up playing, again, Japanese video games. So like I kind of, could kind of understand that 1990s manifestation of Buddhism or Shintoism or whatever. Um, or loving Japanese movies over the decades. So, jumping the shark, I don't. Yeah, those are those are the main ones I can think of. Yeah, I would I would say for me it was when they started coming out with all the um, Transformer movies. Oh yeah, where it was it was like it was so fast and 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 messy, yeah, it was, and it just it felt like it felt like it was on steroids. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because like I remember. <laughs> thank thank God. Um, <laughs> Michael Bay! We lost Michael Bay! Transformers like were so much years. fun to play with as a kid. And you could basically, as, as you were, they're like a little puzzle. And you unfold the puzzle, you refold the puzzle back into it. And then the movie came out and the Transformers and the transformation sequences were way too complicated for yeah. anyone to keep track of. It's like, there was kind of, it was impressive, yeah. Yeah. like one time. But then they're transforming over and over again. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. like metal debris, just like, like literally like gray visual noise on the, on the mm-hmm. screen. Yeah. It was, like, it, it was, again, it was so much to take in, you know, watching it. And the same with like, um, some of those, like, I forget the, I don't, I'm not a Harry, per, Harry Potter person. So I don't fucking know what that game you're is. A they muggle. Play. 
what, <laughs> Muggle. What's the what's you the game they play Slytherin. with? Like, thank you. Come on, guys, help me out. You what's, little <laughs> Slytherin. What's the ball? What's the golden ball with the wings? Quidditch. Correct. Okay, so when there's there's that whole scene when they're playing Quidditch and it, it's like their rag dolls getting flung all over the broom, broomsticks, <laughs> and it's like the the physics of their bodies moving around was so unbelievable that I was like, why? Who green? Yeah. Who watched this and was like? Fuck this is yeah. Fine. yeah. This is great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Print it. So, I don't know. I feel like... It's fucking embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> human, sorry. I'm just like, that was just the guttural response. I'm just like thinking about humans trying to be really ambitious and being like, yeah, shit's unlocked. Like, we got it. Shit's fucking tight. We'll we'll project this out to millions of people. And a lot of people are just like, no, you don't yeah, got but like it that's, yet. That's when we get like the kick response from like folks like us that are like, fuck CGI. This yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like, I think this is why they doubled down, tripled down on watching the cult films of the seventies and eighties where it's like, we want to see the Silicon gooey blood splat, yeah. whatever that thing that mm-hmm. that's foaming and orange, you know, it's just like, give me the real shit. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. That's a good title of a movie that you're about to make with all the best visual effects artists and practical effects artists. Give me the real shit. Give me the real shit. So, yeah. so uh, oh man. That just made me realize something, a little bit of a tangent, but a, actually a parallel is that I, I referenced video games and growing up on Japanese video games. And one of the cool things about Japanese video games in the 90s wasn't just like the mechanics, but also the fucking pixel art. The pixel art was fucking amazing. And if you know anything about making games, for pixel art to be amazingly like animated, you have to fucking hand draw every single pixel on these characters. And so mm-hmm. you'd see like in Zelda, the candles in the dungeon that would flicker. I mean, and 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 uh, like Chrono Trigger, you'd see uh, these amazing battles and like world maps and things like that. And fast forward you're after all these years of like CGI and like CGI is only getting better. Like if you look at like PS five games that are coming out now with like all the lighting and shit, it looks incredible. And yet you have games like Stardew Valley that was made by a single person and the pixel art can be rudimentary, but it gives you a mood and it, it feels, it feels awesome. And what he's doing is giving a tribute to Japanese video games from the 1990s. And it feels amazing. Hmm. Amazing. Anyway, there's my uh, pixel art rant for the podcast. Thank you. But just kind of similar, but not related. Like, let's bring this whole CGI conversation home. I feel like CGI is in a better place these days than it has been. Well, obviously than it was for a time. You compared it to a child actor maturing. And I feel (laughs) like we have had that clouds of Sils Maria moment and this like budding actress where she's starting to turn in some good performances and it's starting to be a little more respectful and a little more competent in the way that's being deployed. So I don't think that all... I, I fully agree. I don't think that all CGI is trash. Mm-hmm. I think that it's actually just mature to the point where you have directors and studio people who are saying, okay, well, that that works or that's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. I I There have been so many films that have come out in the past two, three years where I have taken note of how beautifully the two are integrated together and how the CGI complements the story and the practical complements the CGI and how they're mapped over each other, where it's um, done in a way that's 
got a lot of texture. It brings it to life. And, and I was super impressed with it. And I do think that this is, you know, if we think of CGI as a child actor, CGI comes out, they're doing all these fucking movies, you know, like they're, they're living, they're living the big dream. And then they turn 18 and they go off the rails for a while. And they like, you know, are showing their pussies when they're getting out of the car and, (laughs) and like just a total trash show. And then they disappear for maybe a little bit and then they got spiritual. They got spiritual. Yeah. They, they found like Kabbalah and then they, they came back and now they're like a legitimate actor. Uh huh. That's how I feel about Uh CGI. You just mishmashed Kristen Stewart, Britney Spears and Madonna into a single person. Lindsay Lohan. Don't forget Lindsay Lindsay Lohan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The fact that Kristen Stewart's in the middle of this nonsense, I'm (laughs) not okay with because Kristen Stewart, if we're going to use her as an analogy, I mean, she was nominated for an Oscar for playing princess Diana. So, Slightly different outcome than those other three individuals. She, she was, was she was never bad. She was just in a shitty series. I just, I'm going to defend my girl until uh, I wasn't going after her. Okay. <laughs> was, I'm more so ha- talking about like Amanda Bynes or something like that. Where Ooh. yeah, where she's she's still gone. Oh man, a poor thing. Where's Jessica Simpson? Oh, she's living just a she's, nice. She's sweet. doing great. I'm yeah, sure she's fine. Mandy, anymore? Yeah. Uh, 28 meters down or whatever. That was a great movie. Mm. Andy Moore's fine. She's doing all right. What about yeah. Jessica Biel? <laughs> I'm just going to keep listing all Jessica Biel's killing picking, it. You're because, picking people that like are fine. Yeah. Like, Je- that are, Jessica Biel was, uh, she was in the, that, the murder, um, series. Oh, oh, um, the sinner. Yeah. Oh God. That was so good. Uh, no, God, like Hannah Montana, kind of. Miley Cyrus? Miley Cyrus. How dare you? She was Don't super... Don't speak ill about my queen. I like Miley Cyrus, but I'm just saying she she like was in all the disney things and she was doing this crazy career mm-hmm. and then she turned 18 and she was naked all the time. That's true. And then just everywhere and um and then she came back and she's dope as fuck and right. she's like complimenting every 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 stage she goes on. Mm. Um but husky. The CGI is isn't it's humbled phase that's it's gonna yeah. get an oscar yeah let's uh let's talk about the oscar of tron oops whoops it didn't get an oscar because the academy award uh said that tron was cheating with computers so the fact that this was they were obviously deeply they were they were all shooken up by this thing yeah they were they were offended and they were scared just like rick baker with the silicon practical effects well rick baker had to fight for that academy award and that, now what i'm saying is like they they saw tron probably not just as this little oddity they saw it as a shot across the bow they were they were scared well yeah. computer effects replace actors <laughs> In 1982. <laughs> so dumb. The, yeah, the fact no, that Tron lost or didn't even show up as a nomination versus E.T. It's like, dude, E.T.'s dope. I, I would fucking fly into the sky with E.T. Awesome. Felt great as a kid. But Tron, this thing is unfathomable. Like this is we we are adults who have made a podcast that we've recorded 116 plus episodes at this point. And this is one of those movies that is like Son of what the White Mare, I'm just going to keep bringing that up, mm-hmm. that I have no idea how this movie was made. Mm-hmm. And I watched a fucking full-length documentary about it, and it is astounding. I have a technical tour de force. I agree. Yeah. I it agree. makes no sense. How do you do this? How do you go from being an indie like production company that's like, you know what, Disney, you should maybe give us like $17 million plus, and like we're going to turn in a movie 
in what a year a year and a half yeah yeah, yeah. with techniques that we invented that's what that i'm saying it's like fucking, how do you did they even whatever. foresee what like how do you how do they even foresee what this is going to look like and and figure out the process of doing it in they a way don't. and it's like it's like oh my god they had they had they had studio management that had incredible faith in them they are obviously looking for something innovative when you compare the big moments in innovation in disney's history you got to go all the way back to fantasia before you, you yep. find was, similar brass balls well, and was, like this, the drive to achieve exactly. something that You're was... You're 100% right because I was going to bring up that um, Ave Maria mm. at, the, yeah, at yeah. the end of Fantasia. We talked about that on the episode where the process of making what appeared to be the most simple animation in that film was actually one of the most highly technical, highly complicated uh, processes ever thought of. To, to just get that one panning beautiful scene right. through the forest took days mm-hmm. and it fucked up multiple times. They almost didn't get it to the end of the film when they were premiering it in New York. Oh, that's right. Cause they had to rush it. Yeah. Of, yeah. And so, I mean, once again, I mean, the magic of Disney is, is a thing, you know, where it's like they go in and they're like, throw, throw the best minds at it, throw the most money at it, figure it out mm-hmm. and shit. But that was Walt. Mm-hmm. This is an independent team. Yeah. And that's the other thing is doing that, an intellectual, sorry, doing an original, original thing. And that's the, where that one, the, the one meant Harrison, something or other that I mentioned before is like, cause he was the guy that had to convince the old Walt folks that basically they were like, if Walt hasn't done it, we're not going to do it. Which if you're concerned about innovation, like that's a death sentence right there. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you can't build on what has been done in the past, then you're not going to go anywhere. So it was important for them to be able to take a chance. So I, I got to say, you know, we come down pretty hard on a lot of studios, but I will say that the people in charge of Tron, they rolled the dice and they won. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They, they say innovation is expensive, but you know, that's the future. Yes, it is. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> 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 did we want to, uh, Brady, did you want to talk about the composer? Yeah. The, so with, with the music, it was really frustrating in my journey to understand how amazing this was from like uh, all the backstory that we talked about that no one brought up Wendy Carlos and Wendy Carlos's soundtrack that she did with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, and what's a, what's of note with this is there are had not been that many movies with synthesizers, right? So like you had Stanley Kubrick um, who also employed Wendy Carlos with The Shining and um, Clockwork Orange. And, uh, you know, I think synthesizers were starting to become a, a thing in like the mid, mid, mid sixties, late sixties. Um, but it wasn't on the scale uh, such a big deal. And so for Wendy Carlos to, be such a, a pioneer of synthesizer music um, to not really be talked about much with this movie. I don't know what that says. I don't know if it's like a legal thing where like she has tried to refute her work with the London Philharmonic Orchestra because she's um, she was so detail oriented and wanted things to be a certain way. And mm. she got swept up into a, a, a studio system mm. uh, that was not willing to, handle the compromise in a music sense like like they did with uh the visual effects team i don't know if it, if it's because she's a trans woman who came out in the 70s mm-hmm. and there's some 
political awkwardness or, or uh, downright uh, bigotry mm-hmm. that happened at the time. Uh, I don't know, but I, I feel like the music at times there were certain synthesizer synth flourishes that were awesome. And the fact that it was combined with like this orchestra where she composed a lot of the score and to not have it talked about as a key part of this movie mm-hmm. seems not cool to me. There was I was reading something where she was very determined to incorporate old, present, and new forms of sounds and music to come together to kind of complement the film. And uh, that it was critically acclaimed later, but not... Not when the film was released. And who knows, maybe she maybe she was still applying this Kubrick mentality where like if you think about Clockwork Orange, there's a lot of this classical music, this Baroque music, um, that she was known for with her one of the most famous synth albums. Like if you go to if you go rec, uh, crate digging and you like look in the reuse use section, there's always a switched on Bach record. In fact, it sold so many copies that like you can find it used for like two or three bucks. Um but point is, she she made a career from doing like classical music, mm-hmm. and I think maybe she just went back to that well one too many times. By the time nineteen eighty two hit, and Kubrick wanted it, but Disney wanted something a little bit more lush, as evidenced by the London Philharmonic. That what she wanted, per what Allison said of like uh, old, present, and kind of future, she just wasn't in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. in terms of what the studio or what uh, what Lisberger wanted. Yeah. But still, like, it's shitty. Like, I don't know. That seems kind of weird to me f- to talk about a pioneering movie for an hour and a half on the making of documentary and the commentary that's 90 minutes to not bring her up once. That is strange. That is strange. Doesn't make and sense it, to And me. it does feel like a snub. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck this shit. This fucking movie sucks. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> See, I just need to process my feelings out loud. That's what we're here for. <laughs> That's what we're here for. We're we're a support group. Yeah, group therapy. Yeah. I don't know what you think about the music. L- listen, I'm not. I. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't have an opinion on it. I because I don't remember it. I I'm I'm so caught up in trying to figure out. This looks rotoscope. Do you think it's rotoscope? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, that's what yeah, I was. That's what yeah. I was focused on. That I just the, and again, like, I I, I only really hear soundtracks if they're like very different. Sometimes, Calling attention to themselves. Yeah, you yeah. know, I don't know. Like, um, is it Thomas Newman that did American Beauty? What's his name? Fuck, I, that's a poll. I'm. <laughs> What's the soundtrack to that movie? I can't think. I can't think of that. Yeah. So he. Um, <laughs> nah. But it's it's very tonal. It's got a lot of bells and stuff like that. Or it just mm. it feels it feels very. Um, it felt different, and I re- and I specifically remembered that musical score. But um, sometimes when it's more symphony based, it it's just kind of like fluff in the background for me. I don't really differentiate it much. I thought the soundtrack for Tron was nice. But I'm also thinking about it in the context of the time that it was made and all the other fantastic musicians that were using either synthesizers or computers early on to produce amazing music. And it also kind of feels like a little bit of like a missed opportunity. Like she's great and the music is great, but it also feels like it could have been more. And I'm curious if this validates her 
intent, right? Like if yeah. she wanted to do something more and they're like, no, you got to use an orchestra. She's like, well, no, I want to do this experiment. No, you got to do and these I think, standard sounds. I think that's what makes Tron Legacy so, um, for me, what I remember the most about it is how fucking dope that album is. And it's still their, their least best, their worst worst album. But it was still really No, good. I know I'm saying. I'm just saying Daft Punk is fucking incredible. And but, so But I remembered it almost being more of a feature than the movie itself. Like the oh, yeah. the the whole vibe and presence of it was like ominous and spooky and very funky. And I, I was like I was like so I it need should to, be. Yeah, I was like, hell yeah. I think music needs to go swing for the fences more. I think filmmakers need to bring music in more as an element. Um I mean Terribly Blood is my favorite movie of all time, partially because the soundtrack is the best soundtrack of all time. Hands down. Mm. Hmm. I'll fight anybody. You go listen to that soundtrack and you tell me that's not one of the best Radiohead albums. But it's not. <laughs> you know, I was listening to Radiohead today. I just I just popped in. The, well, it's because I made that post on our story. In addition to all the hard work of the, the, the core visual effects team producing the, minu- the movie, there are also these outside third-party artists that were making huge contributions. Um, Jean Giraud, Mobius, mm-hmm. uh, did like the character design. So what's the Dumont guy? The, 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 oh. well, the giant giant hat. Yeah, yeah I like I love the costumes and I yeah. love that design. Yeah. And so yeah, you can see the Mobius influence all over the character design. Uh, it's all there. And uh, Sid Mead, who of course is very famous for his uh, contributions. He designed the light cycles. He designed... The prison holding cell. He designed that weirdo like aircraft carrier on its side thing. He did a lot of contributions to Tron. So Sid Mead and his uh, particular brand of techno futurism is it's got its marks all over Tron. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you look at the um, what the the little title sequence that Lisberger did for his own company, it's a very different like look and feel yeah. than what we actually got in Tron. And I think that has to do with the influence of Sid Mead as well as yeah, Mobius. That logo mm-hmm. is more like a heavy metal parking lot. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Kind of like glowing neon bar sign. Yeah. Like a disco cowboy yeah. kind of thing. Natty oh, yeah. light cut off denim shorts version of sci-fi. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Yeah. He's probably really good at pinball. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a B grade George Lucas. Hmm. Oh, shots fired. Oh, you're looking at Lisberg? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The last time we talked about Sid Mead was on episode one, which for some reason our episode one doesn't exist. I don't know why. Our show started on episode two. Yeah. It was, it was intentional. You know what? I'm so for listeners who have come this far. No, don't spoil it. No mystery. Well, what if we redo it again? That would the gritty reboot. Yeah. (laughs) We 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 got rid of episode one because we felt like it was a poor representation of where we are now. And if people are going to start at episode one and work their right. way up. Yeah, they're going to start from the um, beginning. Yeah, we wanted to start them at what we thought was a better place. And listeners, if you go back through our episode list and find the other episodes that we intentionally deleted, we will give you a pin if you email us to let us know <laughs> what we, other minute. Have ones we done are more than that? Maybe episode 43. Did maybe you episode, episode? Maybe episode 69. Who knows? Brady, did you? No. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, anything else, guys? So in the fantasy world of Tron, just think about this way. That one scene where you're introduced to Flynn by way of his um, video game arcade. No crowd of cute girls has ever surrounded the guy. Maybe Jeff Bridges, but <laughs> definitely no one else. And cheered for a guy playing video games. This has never happened. But you got to get yourself out of that. This, this movie, Tron, is all about a fantasy. It's basically a stupid, simple plot of a stranger in a strange land. This could be Flash Gordon. This could be Buck Rogers. It's a guy that falls into a video game. That's it. That's it. That's the, that's the whole plot. Don't worry about it. And if you're willing to go for a plot that is that absurd and that simple, your payoff is huge. Because think about it this way. It's 1982. Epcot Center just opened. Space shuttles are flying. You just watch Tron. You are living in a like a postcard from the freaking future. This whole movie is a purely optimistic techno future. It is one of the most kind-hearted and forward-looking ideas of what a technical future through the lens of this computer technology, which has barely been invented at this point. I mean, not really. It exists. But in terms of its impact in people's lives, no one knew what this stuff was going to be like yet. And so you just invented the coolest, cutest, most benign possibility that computers could be. All wrapped around an extremely simple plot, amazing visuals, amazing guts from both the creative team as well as the management. And the result is iconic, lives on forever and ever. It's not a perfect movie, but it's beautiful and it's amazing. It's occupying this strange space in my mind where I have to reconcile that it is not an amazing movie, but at the same time, it is essential cinema. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how to grade that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call it a near perfect nine. Yeah. I feel you on that. Well, throughout the course of this episode, we all saw me slowly descend into agitation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm self-aware enough to recognize that that's what happened. And I think that uh, that implies a bit of um, it's it feels like to me this movie is not understood. And I don't know if it's because Tron's legacy has been <laughs> fucked with because of the sequel. Um and the attempts at kind of adding to the the mythos of it. I'm I'm glad that Tron Three hasn't come out. I understand there's a couple comic books. You know, there's a PC game. You know, I mean, Hell Snake on uh, Nokia phones was a, a rip on light, light cycles. cycles. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like it's kind of just getting back to the guts and the bare bones of what makes this movie special. Uh, I feel like audiences probably it's lost on audiences and it was lost on me until recently. And, and I just kind of had to be like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This is like one of the most inventive, uh, important movies of all time. And I don't know why it was missed on me. Um, maybe it's cause I only saw this movie when I was older and I just kind of took that kind of style for granted. But, um, with the second go around, I will point out that the, the what we've talked about with the plot being a little obtuse, kind of hop skipping and jumping to points that weren't like well thought out or just they were too focused on making sure the eight composites are working that they didn't think through the storyboards that were missing that that connective tissue. Um, but something we haven't talked about with the cast, Jeff Bridges, an icon uh, over time, seeing him work through his. <laughs> His his acting, you know, post um, what's it called? 
Lightfoot and oh, Thunderbolt, oh, yeah. Thunderbolt, mm-hmm. and you know, post that, but pre like Starman, yeah, um, was a lot of fun to see him like in a in a role that clearly he was on on his way to being like a huge star, and uh, the rest of the cast was okay, but uh, that's the thing is like it it kind of feels like from an acting perspective a thankless job of like like a comic book movie in a way, mm-hmm. and that's maybe why this movie is lost a little bit of its luster is that it's a proto comic book movie made by a studio that has become insufferable with comic book movies. Um, and so for that, I give this bad boy eight light cycles. Woo. I'm going to mirror um, what you both brought up that um, I, it's one of those movies where like I've seen it, I've watched it one and a half times, um, <laughs> but I, I only remember the visuals. I never remember the plot. And I think that that's its biggest weakness where I'm, it's not even if you look away or you look at your phone for a second, um, there are moments where maybe having closed caption would have been better to have on the screen where I just, things started happening that um, made me not really know where I was in the adventure of what was happening with Jeff Bridges. And, uh, and I wasn't always super aware of like why we were going in certain directions. I mean, I know that at one point Tron with his like identity disc is told by his programmer. God. Thank you. Yeah. Voice from God. (laughs) To like, to, you know, throw his disc into the MPC, um, you know, to like kill it or, or like neutralize it. But it, it still was, it was still very clunky in the storyline. But on the flip side of that, it's so incredible just as a as an art piece to watch and to see how everything is processed and and to know and just to know you don't I don't think you have to be into cinema that much to realize that whatever they did to create this was insanely complicated and um, and innovative. Mm. So it's just a joy to see visually. And for that, like, I would, I would absolutely tell people to go check it out and just be like, just, just fucking turn on some Pink Floyd in the background. I don't know. Just, mm-hmm. just <laughs> I don't know. Take, like a tiny bit of mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know that it's wholly necessary to get the entire storyline. I just think that it's a, it's a really incredible visual masterpiece. And so I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it an eight. So. With that, guys, we are going to uh, meet up next week. We've got an excellent-ish movie that came (laughs) out about 10 years later um, that is a different type of CGI. Oh, man. I am so excited to talk about this next one. Yeah. um, So we we are watching... Because you've got, like, the dream, and then you've got, like, the reality. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we are going to be watching 1992's Lawnmower Man. I um, I would love for the listeners to pop this puppy in. <laughs> it's, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, warning that it's definitely not a PC movie anymore. Like some of the, oh, Jeff, yeah, yeah. Jeff Fahey's characters a little. Um, how would you put that? Sexy. Well, later. Shirtless. Uh, Oiled up. Not a, not a good representation. So smells like cut grass. (laughs) Cause he's been mowing the lawn. 
He represents steely oh blue eyes, God. people around and the his, world, and his all very well. Pouty lips, his beautiful pouty lips. So anyway, so we'll, we'll be watching Lawnmower Man, but in the meantime, um, go ahead check out some of our previous episodes. You can also follow us on our um, Letterboxed. Wow, <laughs> you can follow us on. <laughs> you can follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Bruja Jones. I sense another warrior on the mesa. I'm fantasy of fragrance. <laughs> Josh is just over here stuck in Tron, just quoting, <laughs> quoting Tron. Oh <laughs> and I'm Brady Kimball. Yes. And you can also follow us on Twitter. We're um, at Solid Six Podcast. Which we're not really down with that Twitter shit lately. We have Instagram. Yeah. Instagram's that's our, our that's preferred our jam. Ev- uh, method right now. Yeah. So that's uh, at Solid Six dot podcast. Mm. And then feel free to go to the website. We're uh, solid6.net. There, there's a tiny microphone button. If you feel so inclined, uh, you can leave us a voicemail. We love hearing from you guys. Um, if we if corrections need to be made, we also love corrections. And yeah, I want people's intimate details with CGI. They need to come to us whatever avenue we have. And I found that Instagram messages might be the best people feel most comfortable with that so the slide into those dms yeah yeah his CGI. name is tron he fights for the users <laughs> <laughs> he still has faith faith in the user in the users okay great <laughs> <laughs> and with that we will catch you next week <sighs> oh that is nice good night programs find me. it's moana for that second two seconds I'm gonna go drink some tea (laughs) (laughs) bye guys